Jesus once had a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a local watering well. As quickly as he could, he turned the conversation from water to worship, concluding, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What did he mean by this? Worship must first happen in the heart, what some call the spirit realm, because by nature, God is spirit. When our spirit aligns with the Holy Spirit who indwells us, we get back to the heart of worship. Worship must also happen in the head by engaging in the kind of rigorous thought that leads us to the knowledge of God. Are you worshiping God in spirit and truth? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. When it comes to worship, the where is not nearly as important as the how and the who. Hello, welcome to this Thursday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis, always glad to have you with us, and we're told in Scripture to worship God at a local church. But that's only one or two days of a seven-day week. Today, Ron encourages us to worship God in spirit and in truth, all the time, no matter where we find ourselves. What does it mean to worship Him in spirit and truth? Stay right here to find out or look for us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. From John chapter 4, here's Ron with part 2 of his Something Good Radio message, The True Worshipper. By the way, twice Jesus uses the phrase, the hour is coming. The second time he uses it, he adds, the hour is coming and is now here. Interesting language here. John is the one in his gospels that pays particular attention to time. Uh, My time has not yet come, Jesus says on some occasions, or now is the time. The idea here is that the time for true worship, listen to this, is both now and not yet. It's present and it's future. It's earthly and it's eschatological at the same time. I know that's a big word, but there's something more that Jesus is talking about here by uh, the hour is coming and is now here. It's, It's future, but it's now, it's present. Both time references also place an exclamation point on the matter of true worship. What he's saying is that there is always a sense of urgency and divine timing to what God is doing, and now is the time for true worshipers to worship the true and living God. Now, how we worship God is just as important, if not more important, as where. Because Jesus says to her pointedly, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A lot of us have heard that before, but we're not exactly sure what it means. What do I do do with that? It's kind of out of our reach. John Piper provides, I think, a good interpretation. He says, worship must have heart and worship must have head. I like that. Worship must engage your emotions and worship must engage your thoughts, both at the same time. 
He goes on to say, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual fighters. I get the impression Piper might have been in a place one time where, oh, their orthodoxy and their, what they believed was spot on, but their hearts were far from God and they just devolved into unspiritual fighters. He goes on to say, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. And then Piper says, true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Jesus says the Father is searching. He's on a search and rescue mission here. He's searching for true worshipers who must, he uses the word must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. With all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yes, with all of your mind, don't forget that, both the head and the heart uh, come together in this thing called true worship. Let's drill a little bit deeper and start with the heart. Um, as I was thinking this through this week, I, I, I wrote down these words, try, trying as best as I can to, to pull together uh, an understanding of this for my, for my own benefit and hopefully for yours as well. Worship must happen in the heart or in the spirit realm, as we often refer to the heart, because by nature God is spirit. He took on a physical body in the person of Jesus Christ. However, the real God is spirit. The real you is spirit. Your spirit is that, what, is that what, uh, which animates your body, okay? And upon death, here's what happens. The spirit, the real you, departs from your body. You've probably heard me say it before, you're not a physical person who happens to have a spiritual side to you. You're a spiritual being that happens to be residing in a physical body. And one day, your spirit, the real you, is going to depart your body. We call that death. And that spirit that is the real you that animates your body, when the spirit departs the body upon death, the body lies there in an unanimated state. Okay? You with me so far? Now, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer in Jesus Christ. Now you have two spirits in you. You have your spirit, the real you, and now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you as well, taking up residency. Worship happens in the heart of the true believer when, when your spirit aligns with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and you're aligned with Him, the Holy Spirit further animates your body with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those Christ-like characteristics. Your spirit animates your body in a certain way but the Holy Spirit wants to animate your body through all the character qualities of Christ. So worship happens in the heart of the believer when your spirit aligns with the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit's animation of the body, listen to this, turns into a refreshing hydration 
Remember Jesus' reference to living water? Elsewhere in John chapter 7, go with me there, he not only talks about living water, he talks about rivers of living water that gush forth from the believer's inner being. Um, John chapter 7, Jesus is at one of those festivals in Jerusalem, one of the annual festivals where they go to worship and celebrate. And verse 37 says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is just a couple of chapters away in John's gospel from the conversation Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well where he mentioned the living water. And now he says it again in front of a huge crowd in Jerusalem. John goes on to say in chapter 7, now this he said about the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What are we saying here? We're saying that worship must happen from the heart, and how that happens is when your spirit or my spirit aligns with the Holy Spirit, and, and you're in sync with and you're in harmony with the Spirit of God who is living inside you by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Other language in the New Testament um, amplifies this idea of alignment that I'm talking about by suggesting that uh, we walk by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, we've yielded ourselves fully to the Spirit. It's possible that your Spirit is in Opposition to the Spirit of God because the flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit wars against the flesh. But when the alignment comes, then that aspect of true worship that is from the heart produces rivers of living water, and the emotions come with that, and the Holy Spirit takes you on a ride. You know, when I see that phrase, the rivers of living water is applied to the Holy Spirit, I, I I picture myself in, in one sense kind of floating down a lazy river. And there's one sense that when you're aligned with and in step with the Holy Spirit and worshiping God from your heart, um, the, the Spirit just takes you on this, this easy, you know, lazy river kind of thing. But you know the rapids are coming. You know, that's the fun part, right? That's the adventuresome part. There's a part of aligning with the Holy Spirit and flowing with Him that is like an easy, lazy river, but He's also preparing you for the adventure of your life. And you go on those rapids, and the, the rush and the gush of living water comes, and He's taking you to places you never thought of before in worship, in work, in home, in play, wherever you are. And I think that's part of what Jesus has in mind here when He says, those who worship God in spirit and in truth, those who worship in spirit are aligning their spirit to the Holy Spirit, and out of the heart we worship Him. Make sense? Are you with me so far? We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, in the past year, in spite of the many challenges the world has faced, we've seen God use Something Good Radio like never before. 
Friends like you have played a key role as your prayers and financial support help Ron share the gospel through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you give this month, we want to say thank you with a special gift of our own. The complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, True Worship. That's True Worship, a five-message series from Dr. Ron Jones. And for a limited time, our thank you gift to you for giving to Something Good Radio today. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good radio message, The True Worshipper. Well, let's talk about the other side. Worship must also happen uh, in the head. It must also happen in the intellectual realm because Jesus said true worshipers must worship God in truth. In other words, we must be willing to engage in the kind of rigorous thought that leads us to the knowledge of God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture. This brings us back to the second commandment of worship, right? You worship God in response to how He's revealed Himself, not in response to how your wild emotions and imaginations take you. Even that wild ride on the river of living water and the emotions that are involved in that, if it's not governed by rigorous and disciplined thought from the study of the Word of God and the knowledge of God, then we get off in places of frenzy and, as Piper says, flaky people that are just full of all emotion. But it's not based upon the knowledge of God. It must be head and heart. Jesus also was not afraid I'll just toss in here to speak truth to the Samaritan woman uh, in this conversation. Uh, We worship God from our heads and our intellect by by daily renewing our minds with the Word of God, but Jesus takes it a little bit further and He says to her, you worship what you do not know, verse 22, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Those were fighting words. (laughs) Some would say, how dare Jesus come into Samaritan territory and say, your worship is false, but I know what true worship is all about. Our modern sensitivities don't like this kind of uh, confrontation. You know, the tolerance police would throw a yellow flag or referees would. And uh, you, can, you can hear some people like the moral relativists saying, oh, uh, don't, don't say that this woman and the way she worships God and how she does it and all that and the God she worships is wrong. I mean, she has the freedom to worship God however she chooses. And Jesus would say in so many words, yes, she has the right to be wrong. I mean, Jesus, Jesus really pointedly says to her, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews? (laughs) I mean, 2,000 years ago, you try walking into Samaritan territory and saying something like that, and again, those are fighting words. Try saying it at the United Nations today. Them are fighting words. But again, Jesus is just speaking truth. 
The truth will always insult our intellect when we're operating on faulty knowledge. And you want to speak the truth in love, but take the risk of truth insulting our less than intellect. Later in the upper room, Jesus said to His disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. He didn't say that to poke somebody in the chest or poke them in the eye. He's just speaking truth. And so it should not surprise us then that true worship also depends on the truth. And the most loving thing we can do is tell somebody, no, what you're worshiping is false. It's not based upon the knowledge of God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture. You, you may be all full of emotion and heart, and you may be sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. And let me tell you why, and let me point you to the one true and living God and what true worship is all about. Well, the Samaritan woman knew enough to respond this way. She says in verse uh, 25 and 26, I, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ, and when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. You ever heard somebody say, you know, all that stuff about Christianity that came out of the first century, the, the disciples just sort of whipped that up and made Jesus to be more than He really was. He never claimed to be God. They, they just said that He claimed to be God, or I mean, He never really did that. Or, and it was really more about the disciples trying to, you know, make the whole resurrection thing happen and give legs to the early Christianity. Well, they haven't read the Bible. Jesus couldn't have been more clear here. She was talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. He says, yeah, that's me. You're looking at Him, okay? Now, salvation is from the Jews because God's plan to redeem us started with Abraham. And furthermore, the Bible says that the Messiah would be a descendant from the line of King David. This was common knowledge even among the Samaritans. And Jesus couldn't have been more clear in what He said here, uh, not only about where to worship, but more importantly, how and whom to worship. Well, the response, I mean, He's, he's clearly got her attention. And I don't have time to read through the rest of the story here, but uh, the disciples come back into the scene and they're, they're kind of wondering, what, what is going on here? And the woman runs off to her village. She leaves her water pot behind. You know, she was so concerned about physical things and just about day-to-day -day things. And Jesus keeps trying to get her to think about higher things, and He finally gets her there. And she's so dialed in now, she forgets the water pot. She runs back to her village, and she tells everybody, you got to come meet this guy. He told me things that nobody has ever told me. He knew things about me that not very many people know. And the Bible says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And they said to the woman, verse 42, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow, what a conversion. Started in controversy, 
He guides her through this conversation, and it ends up in the conversion of this woman's heart. The Father is seeking after true worshipers, not false worshipers, not frenzied worshipers, but true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the Father found one that day, a Samaritan woman, who then went and told other people. And when they came, they found everything that she had to say to be true. And many people, many Samaritans in that village were converted. Are you a true worshiper of God? Don't don't let your modern sensitivities for tolerance and this or that shield you from hearing the truth spoken in love. Truth is important. You don't want to base your life on falsehoods and lies and deceptions. The Bible says the devil is the father of lies, and he's an angel of light. He'll do everything he can to disguise what true worship is all about. But Jesus takes all the masks and the disguises off. He says, I am he. I'm he. Worship in spirit and in truth, with your heart, with your head. And be all in with God as you worship Him. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, The True Worshipper. And Ron, today you talked at length about worshiping God in the heart as well as in the head. Now, I think most believers in Christ have the head part down, but let's talk in practical terms about how the heart works together with the head to make what you call the true worshiper. You know, Brian, I keep getting back to the first two commandments of worship, which are the first two commandments among the ten given to us in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, First, I alone am God, and you shall have no other gods before me. And then second, you shall worship me for who I say I am, not for who or what you imagine me to be. That comes from the reference to carved images. When the Israelites were dreaming up man-made ideas about who God was, So the head and the heart are both involved. You give intellectual assent to him, being the one true God, and then you show that your heart is in it when you worship him and him alone. Now, here's what's fascinating to me, Brian. Jesus came and summed up the entire law by saying, love God and love people. But notice what he says about loving God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Notice which one comes first, the heart. Clearly, all four components are essential for the love and worship of God, heart, mind, soul, strength. Genuine worship, which is born out of that love, is designed to be a holistic experience. Quickly now, and I know we're up against the clock, but what's essential for worship today is not music and microphones or pulpits and programs. Now, the essence of worship is in individual believers giving intellectual assent to the truth about God and then making an emotional, personal, and relational investment to worship Him accordingly. Let us remember that the foundation of worship is our heart, delighting in Jesus and expressing praise to Him for the true things the Scriptures teach us about who He is and what He has accomplished for us. Worship is about Him, not us. It involves us, but we're at the periphery. He's at the center. He's the focus. It's His commands we consider first, 
not our preferences. Well, Ron, once again, you've given us plenty to think about as we seek to work out our salvation. Okay, we're about out of time, but let's talk for a moment about where you're headed tomorrow here on Something Good Radio. Well, Brian, to this point, what I've attempted to do is to define what true worship is and then to show what it looks like when we put it into practice, using both our heads and our hearts to worship God genuinely. From there, I'll be moving on to what can happen in our lives if we begin to worship God in this way. The title of my next message, which will span the next two days, is The Transformed Worshiper. I think it will be of real encouragement to share with our listeners what God can and will do in the life of a believer who commits himself or herself to the genuine, heartfelt worship of God. I look forward to it, Ron. That's next time as Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, True Worship. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.